Again, free thinkers, welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. So, this week, guys, we spoke to teacher and podcast host Will Roosh. Will has been on the top of my list of people to interview for a while now, and the reason is because, as we discussed in the podcast, Will rarely jumps on bandwagons. He is quite different from most social media influencers because he takes the time to explore the nuance within topics that have controversy surrounding them. And in my opinion, that is so very needed in the world of media today. Also, because Will works with high school students, he has a unique insight on the minds of the Gen Z teens and has shared with us in this podcast his thoughts on why the trans movement has exploded in recent years. And uh, I I think you'd find his answer very interesting. Will also gave us his opinions on the recent Maui fires, and he explained how he teaches his students to think critically on topics like this. But of course, don't fear, guys. We did end the show on a white pill, as usual. But go ahead and do yourself a favor, follow Will on Instagram. His link will be in the description of the podcast. But for now, enjoy our conversation with Cylinder Radio host, Will Roosh. Will, thanks for joining the podcast with us today. I've been looking forward to this and excited to have a conversation with you since we booked it a few months ago. Uh, I've been following your Instagram account for, geez, I don't know, about two years now. I'm a big fan of your work. I know you're a busy dude. You seem to have a lot on your plate. You host your own podcast called Cylinder Radio, and you've had some great guests. Uh, I definitely want to talk about that during our podcast at some point today. But you're also a family man. Uh, I believe you have two boys. Uh, You're a jujitsu champion. You're also... (laughs) <laughs> You're also a full-time civics high school teacher, and I, I just don't know how you do it all, but I've seen you know you make videos in the car in your car in the school parking lot, so I, I think mm-hmm. you certainly have some level of dedication there. But I, I wanted to talk about your job a bit because Matt and myself have never really spoken to a public school teacher who was as aware of the, the current political and social environment as you are, and... I know that you don't really fit the mold of either like a left-leaning Democrat and you're not, you're certainly not a right-wing Republican. And uh, one of my favorite aspects of your work is that you try to address the nuance of these contentious topics. So I guess with that said, um, you must feel a bit like an outsider in your profession. So what is it like working as a public school teacher in the midst of the culture wars and, and living in Los Angeles, which is basically the belly of the beast? 
And what also, you know, like what keeps you in public education rather than going to like a private school or something? Um, well, I got to correct. I, I left public school. I'm, I'm at a private school. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. I didn't realize that. So, well, yeah. And, and I had to, I mean, there's, there's no, the, the truth is, is there's no way I would be able to do this. Um, and I, I have a lot of friends. I taught public for a bunch of years, but I saw the writing on the wall, uh, right around the time that like, uh, Trump got elected and I just, I'm too curious. It's why I resonate with with what you guys do. Is like I'm just a curious person that wants to ask a lot of questions, even if they're inconvenient questions. And I saw the writing on the wall uh, about that, and I just I would rather kind of get out and go somewhere where I could still maintain that before it got too um, too crazy. And I I I was able I was, I predicted that one accurately. So I ended up at a, a modern Orthodox Jewish private school, which is completely different. I was teaching in East LA. Um, but at there's something in this Orthodox Jewish culture that is very open to talking about everything. And, and they already have an ideology. So I suppose that's part of it. But, but I, you know, get letters sent to my school about how I'm, you know, pick the pick racist, sexist, homophobe, anti-Semitic, whatever it is. And they just kind of uh, see through the nonsense and, and keep me employed and they support what I'm doing. So I'm very, very lucky, but I, I had to leave public school, which really broke my heart. Cause I, I loved it there. Yeah. I was going to ask, man, I was, I was, I was figuring that you would get attempted cancellations, you know, mm -hmm. by just voicing these opinions on Instagram mm -hmm. and stuff. And at, if you were at a public school, that would have been already done. You probably would have lost your job. If not, you know, if you hadn't have moved on anyway. Yeah. Or some of these like more whatever woke private schools. I mean, I'm in LA. A lot of these really, you know, hoity toity, you know, $60,000 a year private schools are the same way. I mean, they're almost more rabid. And again, I have friends there. I had a, a guest on my podcast who teaches at one of those schools. And I mean, he is very convinced that if they just found out that he was a Republican, that he would get fired. Like they, they asked you when come back from summer break, you know, what rallies and activists, you know, BLM activist um, organizations have you been associated with over the summer and, and stuff like that. Like that's part of the way you come back. Like you, you must be this way. And, and this is at private schools too. So it's, I had to find something that was, uh, that was kind of out of both of those kind of realms, especially in LA. And I mean, we, we always hear, you know, especially from more of like the right wing media that there's just an inherent bias with any type of government school, regardless of where you're at in the country. I would assume it's probably more uh, in, you know, the Southern California or even California in general. But like, is that something you experienced as well? Was there like a clear slant towards like liberal uh, perspectives and I don't know, ideology or was was there kind of more of a middle ground? No, it was it was very um, left leaning, which I was I've been left leaning for most of my life. But um, and it, it stems from a couple of places. One is the schools of education. So the colleges of education are very you know left leaning. It's who gets into education. I mean, people are they're soft hearted individuals. They're very empathetic individuals. Those people like as always like as far as like the psychological trait stuff, you know, tend to be more left leaning, open sure. um, people like that. Uh, the, the teachers unions are all, you know, like the NEA, the biggest, you know, union is they give 95% of their money to democratic candidates. It's kind of all of that stuff. Uh, uh, I think all kind of just plays a role in, in, in pushing one's one, one way. I have uh, friends that teach in like Idaho where they have a, a few of like a different, there are pockets across the country where there's a different element where the, the teachers are kind of pressured to be more right leaning. But I think that's more of a minority. It's certainly like that down here in Louisiana. 
I don't even know if Jason knows this, but I actually went to college to be a, uh, a like after I got my degree in like diet computer science, I went back and got a degree in math to teach math. And um, mm. I I never got a job as a teacher, but we started the Free Thought Project shortly after that. And um, but it's like that down here. The teachers are a little bit different. It's it's right leaning, you know, it's the South. Yeah. So um, yeah. which is it's both a benefit and um, also you know, a bit of a curse because we don't have, there's not a lot of the woke ideology down here in schools, you know, and um, it's, it's a little bit easier to traverse that, that scenario, you know, instead of <laughs> having your kids come home and having their teacher tell them that they're, that, you know, that they can be any gender that they want is um, so in LA, I mean, you know, like their, their, their entire government of California is passing laws, you know, to allow children to transition without parent parental consent. Is that, do you see that in this private school, like the, with the Jew, Jewish orthodoxy, or is that no. like you you guys completely immune to that? At my school, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty pretty cool. Like I'm not Jewish myself, but I've been um, at this school long enough that I really um, understand the culture and, and have a lot of friends um, in the community. I mean, things like teen pregnancy and drug overdoses and and things like that are are, I mean, next to zero. I mean, it's very very low in this community. Um, but, uh, like LGBTQ stuff, like there's some elements that I've had gay students. I've had, uh, a trans student. It was a bunch of years ago, but I had a trans student actually before all this happened, it was back in like 2014 or something like that or 15. Um, but it's, it's more, it's more rare. It's not pushed. It's, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where like, there are people I've had nine different transgender people in my podcast, you know, people like Buck Angel and Xander Keg and people like that. And like, it didn't need to get pushed on them. Like that's just just the way their brain works. So I think it's it's kind of a similar thing where where my students, some of them are gay, but it's not like it's not like pushed. They're not, they don't ask them. I know I, I know people that teach in the public schools around here, and the teachers ask them regularly, like every couple of weeks. So you still do you feel like you're still straight? Do you still feel like do you feel like you might be gay? Like it's it's always kind of questioning that stuff as opposed to just letting kids kind of develop. Wow. Yeah. I think that's what we suspected, you know, and um, that's really interesting to hear that. And I actually kind of wanted to, to dig in on this topic just a little bit here because I, I have a question as well, which kind of aligns exactly with this, which is, you know, there, there's just so much tension surrounding this conversation, right? Like it almost feels taboo to talk about it. Like nobody wants to have a nuanced conversation about it. But I think there is an important question at the heart of all this. Uh, about like two months ago, some stats came out that showed graphs of each generation's percentage of uh, individuals who have transitioned, right? And it really was no surprise that Gen Z was one of the highest, uh, meaning that you know more people from Gen Z have transitioned than any other generation before it. So to me, that kind of begs the question, and, and you know, hopefully your insight with your guests can provide some more perspective on this, but. Are Gen Z transitioning at these record rates because it's now being publicized and pushed more in schools and, and government and, of course, the mainstream media glorification? Or are these people who are maybe possibly curious, trans curious, and now they just feel a little bit more comfortable because it has become more accepted within the mainstream and the status quo? Like, what do you think is going on here? Yeah, that's the question, right? I mean, that's where the debate happens is like, is it just that we're more, you know, individuals are more free to be their authentic selves than they ever were in past generations? Or is it that there's some level of social contagion element of this that like Abigail Schreier breaks down her book and things like that? 
uh, <clears throat> I think that I understand like young people. So that's, I've been going to my 18th year teaching teenagers. Uh, there's a lot of kids that act up in class because they don't get any attention at home. So uh, they, their parents ignore them. Okay. They're completely, you know, just, just like an, an afterthought in so many ways, you know, neglected. But if they act up in school, then their, their dad or their mom or whoever neglects them has to come to school and has to address them. And getting yelled at, getting negative attention is better than no attention, no attention at all. And I do think that there's an element here of a lot of individuals, young people, especially ones that might be on the autistic spectrum. They might have, you know, they don't fit in. They don't, they just feel like an outcast. They, they're not celebrated for anything. They don't have any, you know, special skills or anything that they've worked on is if they declare themselves to be this, cause they're mixed up in a whole bunch of different ways. Maybe this is one of the ways they get celebrated instantly as being a hero. Wow. And that is, that is kind of a, a unintended consequence perhaps, but that is a very real thing for a lot of young people is to be celebrated and to be, you know, told that you're, you're great and you're wonderful just for saying that you are these things. It can be, you know, it can be um, an alluring, attractive thing. You know, I had uh, Chloe Cole on my podcast, for example, she would transition to like 14 or 15 years old. And, uh, and she was, she's not trans. Um, but she kind of leaned into that just because of she, from her, her account was because of the pressures of social media and, um, and a lot of what was kind of marketed to her as this is the, the way to be. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's quite a profound answer. And I think it kind of aligns with maybe some of the former podcast guests we've had on this podcast before, like mm -hmm. Dana Martin, you know, who, who talks about, uh, this, this idea of connecting with your children being the most paramount thing that you could do, you know, to, uh, to raise your children. And I don't think it's a stretch to say neglect is a form of abuse, you know, and in fact, yeah. uh, the wall street journal, I don't know if you happen to see this it just came out maybe about three or four days ago, but the wall street journal just put out an article entitled the AI nanny and your baby's future. And it was basically mm -hmm. making this argument that like, you know, there's stimulation that babies and toddlers need. And, uh, you know, there's a developmental cost that we pay that, when we don't have the time as parents to give our children that attention, you know, to, to teach them right from wrong, all these other things that there is going to be some detrimental effects later in life. And I actually remember that one of your guests that detransitioned had actually mentioned that once they went through the 12 steps, they broke their addiction. That's when kind of the, the veil, the mask started to kind of come off and they realized that the trans was more or less this performative act that they were putting on to, as you suggested, to get such to get attention. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin Lunt. I mean, his thing was also aligned with this idea that uh, I think Dr. Deborah. So was talking about, which is uh, he was gay and he was self-hating, you know, because he just felt really wrong for being gay and gay was kind of promoting this like blue collar town that he grew up in as being terrible. So if he transitions, he's a straight woman. He's not a gay man and gay was so bad. So that's, that's another element of this. That's really interesting is if you're in a very homophobic environment, I heard that there's, there's stuff going on with that in like Iran and stuff like that. From what I, I saw that. I saw that on your Instagram that you had that guy Calvin on. And um, that's a, that's one aspect of the trans movement that people don't really talk about a lot. And it's the internalized homophobia, you know, and then we're creating this environment where you can tell people that they can transition their genders. So it's like an easy way out. You know, I, I, I don't dislike uh, the fact that I'm gay. Now I'm a man, you know, so now I can now I can now it's normal for me. 
when you know if you just talk with the child the child and and or all the children who feel this you know you can easily help guide them through this these weird feelings that they have you know without double mastectomies and 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 hormone therapy yeah it's a weird it's a weird it's we haven't ironed this out yet like i think that that's why i keep going into the well of like the trans issue because pat being able to pass being passing matters a lot like if you look like the gender that you're transitioning you know into that matters a lot if you're just trying to live your life you know someone like buck angel or something like that no one thinks that he looks like a girl you know but you know blair white someone like that but if you're not but one of the best ways to be passing is to start the transition earlier which means like pre-puberty you tra you transition pre-puberty then you're more likely to pass which means your process will probably be easier but now we're transitioning children right. <laughs> and and that so it's a really tough tough situation because a lot of people draw their line at like any kind of surgeries uh for children but then there's the whole thing about puberty blockers and and and, and hormone therapy and you know like uh the major medical journals saying that it's completely reversible and then other doctors being like that's crazy it doesn't seem reversible at all and so there's just it just hasn't been sorted out yet and it's become this culture war issue where i want to keep talking about it and find out what the truth is and and get closer to it because it, it seems like something that we need to sort out it's not like it this is some untested you know grounds that we're that we're doing here in the united states like we talked about this a couple of podcasts back um how europe has been you know they were they were a decade ahead of us when it came to transitioning children and they had the 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 london gender identity development service you know that that was at this hospital and they yeah. scheduled they're shutting it down now because they found that the harm that they were doing was like it's irreversible and it was vast and widespread and now they're shutting it down and in the UK and in all these other countries too, uh, like in Western Europe, they're all shutting down those programs because it does so much harm. But yet here's the United States with all that to look at, you know, they have hindsight right here in front of them. And yet we're still trudging down this path. Like, like there's no stopping it. And it's, it's, it's mind blowing to me that we're doing that. And uh, I like the fact that California and, and uh, Washington state are passing these laws that allow children to, to do these things without parental consent is also mind blowing to me, you know, and they're ma they'll make it a crime if you actually talk to your child and don't let them transition. Like, well, I mean, I, yeah. I don't understand why that's happening when we have all this evidence, you know, that in Europe and they're actually trying to warn us over here that, uh, that this is going on. And so you think we're stuck in like this hypnotized woke like state to where, you know, we're, we're, we're unable to resist <laughs> like this path, regardless of what we do, regardless of the information presented to us. Yeah, I, I, I get it though. I really do. Like I'm around school teachers, you know, I'm a soft hearted person at my, my core. And if you think about who is like the most, whatever, marginalized, abused, you know, bullied kids, it'd be like the kids who are, you know, queer in one state, one way or another. So there's that that mama bear empathy element of it of I need to protect this group. And, yeah. you know, the mama bear is so vicious if it finds its cubs, you know, are being threatened. So if you try and threaten or come after any of these trans kids, then I will be horrible towards you. I think that's what it, I think it comes from a place of like trying to protect the most vulnerable. And that's that's going to manifest in a whole bunch of ways and cloud your vision on what's actually going on because you just don't want these kids who are, you know, a lot of them are goofy kids. 
You know what I mean? Like they're, you know, whether they're on the spectrum or whatever it is. So, so many kids are goofy. My own kids are goofy. Like, like kids are goofy and some kids are more, more goofy than others. And you want to really protect them and you don't want them to be abused and bullied and disowned by their parents who are, you know, transphobic or homophobic or whatever. So I, I think it comes from that place of just like being ignorant because you're so led by your emotional, empathetic kind of nature. That's best I can steal, man. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. And just like in politics, it applies to culture as well. You know, it's a tug of war. One side's going to pull another side's going to pull harder and it's just going to continue to escalate, you know. And so, yeah, I, I do agree with Matt. It does feel like we're kind of stuck in this trance here. And I think there is incentive, obviously, you know, these uh, platitudes are popular, at least for a certain demographic. And, you know, it could result in getting more votes, getting reelected. And uh, it's just the, the, yeah. the things that we're seeing in California, it's hard not to say that there's n not an agenda being played out. Right. And I think that's what makes a lot of us so skeptical. But um, going back to, you know, doing these surgeries on kids and stuff, I, I have a, a great tweet here by the comic Dave Smith. He's also a pretty prominent libertarian. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or, or not. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He, he had a tweet that said, what does the term extremist even mean when the people who are advocating for endless wars of aggression, torture, mass spying, banker bailouts, lockdowns, vaccinating six month olds and giving puberty blockers to 10 year olds are considered moderates? And I think that's just a it's such a phenomenal point, you know, because it's almost like the world's been turned upside down, right? Like in the, the 80s and 90s, the, the government was telling us to not do drugs because they're harmful. And now it's the complete opposite. It's like, no, take these puberty blockers, you know, like here, take estrogen or, or whatever. And it's it's something that seems to have been normalized in a very short period of time. But I think all this comes back to kind of this elephant in the room. And, you know, we were just talking about being accepted by your parents. And that's maybe why some of these uh, children decide to transition. But it all feels like it comes back to a search for connection, right? And I remember just recently reading something about porn addiction and, and this woman who studied porn addiction and every person that she talked to about their porn addiction it basically was because they were lonely. They were looking for some sense of connection, whether it be through uh, the pornography or these online cams or whatever. So I do think there is something bigger here that we're really not addressing as a, a society that seems to be almost neglected because there's really no way to solve it. We're all so busy. Uh, we're all trying to just get by. We're trying to make ends meet. Uh, we have our lives. We have our social lives. We have our jobs. But at the end of the day, even with social media, we feel even more disconnected than than we were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, wh what's going on here? I think the Overton window has just shifted really quick about what's just acceptable. I mean, it's it's happened really, really fast. And, you know, it's where society is changing so fast. And maybe that's because of technology and stuff like that. I think people are are resistant to push back because of, again, the school system is built on compliance. If I ask you what makes a good student at like a traditional school, it's someone who does what they're told. That's, that's what makes a good student. So they regurgitate what's, what's, what they're supposed to regurgitate. They, they sit down when they're supposed to sit down, they leave when they're supposed to leave. They, they are compliant. Uh, they don't ask a lot of questions. They just do what they're told. So I think that's kind of, that just manifests in a lot of how this stuff just keeps advancing is no one really pushes back or asks questions. As far as uh, the search for connection, 
Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. I think the the lack of connection, lack of meaning and purpose. Yes. You know, um, COVID made that worse. I know so many kids that were like, you know, captain the basketball team were like really cool, connected kids. But when, during COVID, you take away their sport, you take away their social connections. Teenagers, the most important connections they have are their friendships. Like that's way more important than any other connection. And that was taken from them. They were forced to sit at home and be on technology. And like whether it's porn or, you know, even just like meetings online and stuff like that, it's not the same as an actual connection that people have. And that is, that's just in a, a, a deep part of how we are built is to be tribal and that having people that you can count on and, 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 and re, you know, your uh, rely on to save your life. I mean, I saw some sort of study that said like, you know, how many people can you rely on in times of a crisis? And in the 1990s, the average answer, the most common answer I should say, was something like three people, like three best friends. And now the most common answer is zero. So people don't have friends and they can kind of distract themselves with the entertainment from Netflix and the internet and all that kind of stuff, but they're missing a lot of connections and that's going to manifest in a lot of, a lot of strange ways. But I've seen that seen anxiety specifically go through the roof with my students. I mean, the amount of anti-anxiety medication, the anxiety, the amount of antidepressants I have, a, I had a student a couple of years ago or maybe last year. Um, and they were 17 years old and they told me that they have been on an anti-anxiety antidepressant and anti-ADHD medications since they were 13. So their whole brain developed with wow. these chemicals in their body pretty much their whole adolescence. And I think that's not as uncommon as as you would think. Yeah, man. It's like we're, we're, we're kind of talking about all these trials and tribulations faced by these kids that, you know, and then they have to navigate all this shit in this crazy woke environment, you know, and then then you have to go into a classroom full of these kids and then convince them or teach them how to think critically and, and, you know, question assumptions and talk about, I mean, since you're a civics teacher, you have to talk about individual rights, freedom of speech and stuff like that. How do you um, actually approach that in your classroom with like these controversial politically charged topics like that? Or do you even get into that? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, my my pod, my uh, podcast and my Instagram is just an extension of what I do in the classroom. And that's how it started. I was doing this stuff in the classroom. My wife was like, you should put this online. I was like, no one wants to hear this. She's like, yeah, maybe people do. That's awesome. Um, and so it's um, I address it all. And the way I do it is with genuine curiosity is I ask a lot of questions to them. I get them thinking. It's not I'm not I'm not pushing any kind of agenda, but I'm having them think. What could be the downsides of this? What could be the positives of this? Um, you know, take a stance. Um, uh, you know, learn how to steel man positions. You know, where are you on whatever the pro-life, pro-choice debate? Okay, now I want you to really try to argue for the other side. I do a lot of that stuff. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I mean, students leave my classroom really frustrated because they go, Mr. Rouge, I was certain about all these things before I took your class, and now I don't know what to believe. I'm like, yeah, like you're thinking. Congratulations. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. On that same topic, uh, I have a friend who turned me on your work a couple of years ago, and you know, I'm grateful he did. He's a local businessman. He's a well-known libertarian. Shout out, shout out to Sean. But uh, yesterday we went out to breakfast and I told him I was going to be interviewing you. And he was excited to hear that, of course, you know, and we discussed your approach to sensitive and contentious topics. And we both agreed that your strategy is probably one of the most rational and level headed. And I, I know uh, 
earlier in the conversation, I mentioned your work focuses on nuance rather than the division, uh, which you know I very much appreciate. And it feels rare that people want to engage in intellectual discourse rather than just piling on certain narratives that cherry pick information for echo chambers. You know, that seems to be kind of the common uh, strategy these days. But in your Instagram bio, you said that you disarm echo chambers through civil discourse and critical thinking. And, you know, that aligns 100% from what I've seen with you. So, like, what is the key to approaching topics with this type of mindset? And maybe more importantly, like, when is it actually appropriate to have a more hardline stance on a topic rather than focusing on uh, that gray area? Yeah. So um, where it comes from is it's almost like if you if you're bad at a sport and you lose so many times that you're just like you kind of just like it's not a big deal. You just see it really. You don't get emotionally connected to it. You just start like learning from your mistakes. I think that I've had such a kind of red pill moments like, like over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life, you know, marrying into a different culture and all that kind of stuff and then just kind of paying attention. So I'm just really curious. My ego too is not a lot of um, people in the intellectual space. You know, you engage in that space like these like intellectual types. Like their their ego is connected with with being right. I think that's a real problem with like Sam Harris, who I, mm -hmm. I really liked for a long time. But I think his his narcissistic like this idea. It's almost like a, like a South Park. Like he loves the smell of his own farts. Like <laughs> I think that he's so um, connected with like I'm right that it's going to blind him to things, you know? Um, and I don't have that. I don't have the Kanye, I'm a genius. Because if you say I'm a genius, then when some, you know, random person says, hey, maybe I can help you with a song. It's like, well, what do you know? I have a billion dollars. I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. My ego is connected with finding the right answers to getting to truth. It's not having it. So as soon as I'm disproven or given new information, I'll change because I just want to keep updating my, my software, so to speak. Sure. And as far as like taking hard lines, I do take hard lines on things that I've gone down that road over and over and over again. And it gets to the point where it's like, all right, I don't have many good arguments. And one I always use is like the war on drugs. I'm very, that's like a soapbox issue for me. I'm pretty solid in that the war on drugs need to be at the very least drastically changed. And that's like one that's like one of many that I do have a hard line on, but I didn't start off having a hard line. It started off going through this whole process to the point where it got almost absurd for me to go, well, yeah, I don't know where I stand on this. I do know where I stand on that. But even that one, I will change if I'm given new information. I'll keep adapting. But I think just over the process, like like you know, just keep forging my ideas over and over and over again to the point where I have hard lines on, on certain things for sure. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that certainly answers the question. And I, I guess maybe that's kind of what I was suspecting and, and certainly a, a, you know, proven strategy. So would you say that you draw from any sort of like principle? Like, do you, are you, I don't really know if you have a political ideology, but do you find that you resonate with some of the like libertarian uh, principles at all? Or how do you, where do you stand with that kind of stuff? Yeah. I'm, I'm leaning to, I've been leaning toward that more and more. I think it's as I watch the, the way the government is just like holding on to control. I think post COVID I've leaned more libertarian. I don't think I was really as much before that I had more faith, I suppose, in the government to do the right thing. I thought that, you know, individuals, um, were, were tricky, but the system itself could be, could be worked in a way that, that did good. And I watched kind of the way that it happened, especially here in California, my wife's business was shut down and the, the kind of gross overreach 
of a lot of government. I had to probably experience that to, to open my eyes up a little bit. So I, I am leaning more toward liberty. But even that, I have concerns because, you know, what's going to keep people from, you know, random things, polluting and, and whatnot. Like I th- do think that you need government. I mean, part of what I try to do with my civics class is get young people to be civically engaged. I think if we had better leadership, we had better people in government, then I would trust government more, you know, like, I mean, whatever, whatever people's stances are on, on different politicians, you know, I personally, I'd like pretty open about it. I like Tulsi Gabbard. I like, you know, starting to like uh, Robert Kennedy, maybe, I don't know. These people seem a little bit different anyway. So if we had more people like that, then maybe it could build trust again, you know, in, in the government. But like, as it stands now, I I see a lot of, whether you're, you're a donkey or an elephant, I see a lot of them as very, very similar, you know, kind of aligned with corporations and, and trying to hold on to their own power. So that's just, I think where I stand now, it's a lot less trusting of the government. That's the natural progression. I was going to interrupt you and say that, but I mean, I think Jason and I have been all over the map too, in regards to the Nolan chart of political identity. You know, I think Jason was on the left for a little while. I know I was for a little while as well. I was on the extreme neocon, what right wing, you know, when I got in Marine Corps, but it's just, if, if you, as long as you keep challenging these, you know, your principles and, and asking questions, it's like the natural state of things is to move into a, into this libertarian mindset. You know, I mean, it's, uh, if you if if you don't, then you're not really challenging your principles. You're just you're you're practicing in a cult. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it is it is very American. You know, I mean, when you read the Constitution, you understand, like, the way it was written, the way our founding fathers structured this thing. It was far more libertarian than than what we have now. Like, I mean, that that's pretty clear. So it's I tell a joke around. I say I'm a government teacher that doesn't like government. speaking of that man like so say somebody is a teacher in california and they wanted to kind of take the same approach as you do in the classroom where you seem pretty lucky being that your school was protecting you from these haters who want to cancel you uh like what kind of advice would you give them for you know who, who for other educators who might find themselves in like a similar environment where the the pressure to conform to this woke particular worldview is like super strong, you know, but they still want to kind of promote independent thinking and, and free discourse. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I've had a, a, a lot of teachers reach out to me with like, how do I do this? And I, I just keep telling them lean into genuine curiosity. When you go to a DEI training and they're saying something that sounds like it's nonsense, ask them, like, what am I missing here? This seems like it's nonsense for these reasons. It's just really genuine. They'll get mad at you still, but I think that it's a better approach. Um, it looks like the optics matter. You know, I teach like civil rights movement and stuff like that. And the optics really matter. Like something that like Martin Luther King was preaching about, which is, you know, if someone hits you, you got to just kind of turn the other cheek because the optics, when it went on television and things like that, made it very clear this person's wrong this person the person who's turning the other cheek and not being violent is obviously look comes off better and i think that if you're just asking questions and someone's getting aggressive in the way that you're asking questions or calling names i think that people that aren't completely you know all in on this ideology are going to see it as wow like curiosity is being punished this is a school Right. Isn't school the place that you're supposed to be curious and curiosity can be at least attempted to be satisfied and, and quenched. Like 
but curiosity is punished. And I think that the more you lean into that, the better. I think just like really asking sincere questions, whether it's to your administration, to other teachers, I ask questions that gets me in trouble. That's genuine. That's generally what I do, honestly, like on my, on my Instagram and a lot of places when I like quote unquote troll, I'm just asking questions. And you know, that's what Socrates did. He got killed for it. But but I think that's the best approach rather than taking a hard stand. What I see a lot of in the pushback is a lack of curiosity of how could you support such a crazy ideology? And instead, it's like these rhetorical questions of how could you support such a crazy ideology? So I think instead of going to a rhetorical series of questions, go to a genuine series of questions to try and understand why they would take these stances that they do. Sure. And it it's become painfully obvious to me yeah. that most people only know sophistry and platitudes. And I hate to say that, but if you challenge people on things, it's like they don't even know how to mount an argument, you know, with logic and reason and evidence. It's like, these are my emotional feelings and blah, I'm going to vomit all over you. You know, and so <laughs> I, I think the Socratic questioning is probably the most effective strategy as far as just being able to effectively challenge people. Because as you were talking with Daryl Davis, you know, like you, you can't change people's uh, current perception on things. You know, you could offer them a better uh, perception, but they're not always going to take it and they'll take it when they're, they're ready. You know, you're basically just planting that seed in there. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, there's there's certainly a long way we need to go to, to reach that level of intellectual integrity to even have uh, real conversations about this stuff. And it doesn't feel like as a society we're really there and actually, speaking of that, like, I know, you, you know, you're a civics teacher, you know, history well, um, you know, people like us, people who are activists, we want to believe that protests and social movements have some type of impact on society, you know, that they benefit our future. Uh, we want to think that, you know, we're, we're doing something to help uh, benefit the world. But like, from your perspective, has really anything changed over the past 50 years? Like, are politicians any better or any worse than they were 50 years ago? Do you see an increase in the amount of political corruption or financial inequality or social decay? Or I, I don't know, do we just have a tendency to romanticize the past? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think that there is more transparency. I mean, there, there just has to be because there's more access to information and stuff. Like, like we look, we look at the cable news now, we're like, oh, this is, you know, fake news left and right. But I mean, William Randolph Hearst controlled all the newspapers. Like that was did a lot of stuff, fake news going back to the war on drugs about like marijuana and stuff like that. I mean, you know, we got had all these narratives about getting into wars, you know, Vietnam War and Spanish American War and all this kind of stuff. I mean, propaganda has been around for a long time. I think yeah. now the positive is that there's there's alternatives. There's you guys. I mean, your social media account gets people to go, huh? maybe the mainstream narrative is not what's actually true. And we didn't have that before in a in a big way. So you also get nonsense. I mean, the, the people that are saying like, you know, like take any, any big, whatever conspiracy theory, some elements of it are probably true. And then some elements are false. You know, mm -hmm. the COVID vaccine, you know, might have some sort of, you know, negative um, repercussions on like young athletes and stuff like that. But is it, you know, Bill Gates putting a microchip in our body? Like, you know, it's, it's, you get a lot of information. There's almost an overload of information and somewhere in there's the truth, but I would rather have all of the information to weed through than just one central narrative from like, you know, three news channels or something like that, all aligned, all pushing some sort of agenda, which we did have, you know, 50 or 80 years ago. 
Right, right. Yeah, more of a decentralized approach, which, yeah, yeah it's more from the, the bottom up than the top down now. And I think that's eroding that top down kind of uh, perception of authority. But still, for some reason, like the mainstream media is still and maybe it's been orchestrated this way because there was a time where people like us, uh, the anti-media, we are changed. Like we were reaching large amounts of people in like 2016, 2017, where we were starting to challenge the mainstream media. And then, of course, uh, Trump came in. They started pu pushing out the, the fake news narrative. And then all of a sudden, the mainstream media kind of had this legitimacy again, you know, so maybe that was intentional. But uh, you know, speaking of a, a nuanced approach, you know, there's a lot of take. And, you know, we we're just you just hit the nail on the head there. You know, there's so many fake news, you know, takes on things. And then we got the mainstream media manipulation and distortion on things. So like, what is your take with what's going on with the Maui fires right now? You know, we have the right and the conspiracy theorists claiming it was a direct energy weapon orchestrated by HARP and the government. Of course, the fact checkers tell us that's not real. It's not possible, even though, you know, there is documents highlighting that, you know, direct energy weapons are real. That's something that government has, you know, had in their arsenal for a long time now. Uh, we have people on the left claiming that it wasn't a do, but it was an inside job by the government to have these huge corporations gentrify, you know, the historic parts of Maui for, you know, astronomical profits. And then, of course, the, the mainstream liberal, liberal establishment is basically in unison saying that the fires were caused by climate change. So, I mean, you know, more information is surfacing each day, but like, what's your inter interpretation of all this? Um, so I don't know the the details. So here's what I typically do with like any kind of event like this is there's some level of like Occam's razor, like, you know, like the most reasonable explanation. But what I tend to do is look for like the, the, the human patterns of this. So we have a lot of wildfires out here. It's from lack of, uh, lack of like management. So I, I, from my understanding is in Maui, there was a lot, a lack of like management of the, the woods and stuff like that. So they didn't clear out dead wood and stuff like that, which is just, just waiting to cause a whole bunch of problems. So that could be because of mismanagement of government. Like it could be that instead of like a laser beam, I'm not saying it's not a laser beam. I have no idea, but that's more, that's like, that's more far fetched, I suppose, for lack of a better term, sure. definitely still possible. Who knows? We don't know. Okay. But um, I tend to lean into like, uh, would it be possible that, uh, certain areas that the government's neglecting certain things. So like, let's clean out all of these, 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 you know, down trees and, and, you know, overgrowth and stuff like that around wires, especially when it comes time where there's like, you know, a windy season and stuff like that. And they neglected that for a whole bunch of other things. I think it's possible to say that, uh, the funding needed to do, you know, important maintenance was given to other things, you know, like it could be for the war in Ukraine. It could be for a whole bunch, you know, it could be just going to subs for big corporations or something like that and it's like well what's the point and then if it burns down then it burns down and then that's when the corporations kind of swoop in and, and, and see it as an opportunity like i don't know how much jeff bezos and and bill gates were like you know twisting their mustache saying like let's create <laughs> covid so everything has to go online but when covid happened i think they jump on it, become carpetbaggers like we had after the civil war to go all right well this is a great opportunity. Let's keep this thing going because it, it profits us. I, I don't really know, um, but I just try to, to recognize like the most common things from the past. Like what does this kind of look like from the past? And it could be something like Hurricane Katrina or something like that, where it's like a natural disaster that just the priorities of our government are just elsewhere for a whole bunch of, 
of, of reasons, but just seems elsewhere. So a whole bunch of people are going to swoop in to try and capitalize on this, you know, charge $50 for a small bottle of water or whatever they did during Katrina. There's like things like that, but I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll have to be patient and see. There's certainly no shortage of conspiracy theories online. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I saw some uh, images posted to Twitter or uh, whatever X now, um, you know, they were, they were claiming to be direct energy weapons and it. And like, they're easily debunked. One of them was uh, like a time-lapse photo of, Elon Musk's um, the rocket taking off, you know, it's, it was just, uh, it looks like a laser beam coming down. But when you looked at the actual, uh, you know, the actual photos, there was a rocket in it and it was just taken off. And then there was another one from a, like a fire in Ohio or something from five or six years ago. And it was just a lens flare. But, you know, yeah, that being said, like there's, there's mass distrust of the U S government. And I think that that's a, you know, that's a damn good thing. And, and, it's a good thing when you have the distrust, but it's a bad thing when you take some random, unprovable, clearly phony idea and run with it as the truth, you know? Right, right, and right. I've been contemplating this recently, and, and like we were just talking about government censorship and how the media came back in and went during the Trump and got credibility again during the Trump era and everything. And and now that they, you know, it's they have widespread censorship, um, on all these different platforms and i think that you know inevitably which you know multiple studies show this and you have to be a you know an idiot not to to see it that when you do censor things it it does tend to create more disinformation it makes Mm -hmm. people believe completely dumb shit like that they're sending kids around the country and you know and chest of drawers from wayfair And (laughs) like there's a, you know, and and that speaks to the lack of critical thinking that people do like because it just it's like, oh, the government censoring. I must be right. You know, and and that's where people stop in it. And it completely sucks, man. And I'm that's what I'm I'm so glad that you're teaching those children how to to critically think and and handle these situations, because unfortunately, you know, there's a complete lack of that in today's society. Like there's so many people just believe complete bullshit online and, and um, you know, and it makes people see a fake picture of a laser beam hitting, you know, the side of a mountain and they make, you know, then there, then there's these rumors that they fucking set the fires with laser beams and it makes yeah. all the people like us look crazy, you know, because we do question things and, and we say it is feasible and, but we're not saying that it's factual, you know, we're just saying like this, the, the, those, these weapons exist and, uh and and they they have done things like this before and um but that's where people should stop they shouldn't just take this shit and run with it you know but there is one thing one of our uh writers um jack burns he shared something this morning um that was a book on amazon that's really freaking fishy and the book is called uh fire and fury the story of the get this the story of the 2023 maui fire and its implications for climate change it was published on August 10th when they were literally putting out the fire. Like, and it's a bestseller already. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you want to talk about some shady shit, that's it. And this this book claims to, you know, to have talked to people and firefighters. And this is it was published a day, bo- actually a day before the fire was even out. It, it, it's it's really crazy man. What, what what do you think about that man like the, i don't know if you're familiar with it but like i can send the link or whatever but it is this is a real book on amazon you can get it in paperback and it was published about the maui fire a day before the maui fire was actually put out 
Yeah. So that's, I didn't know about that, but uh, <laughs> what I say to my students, um, I say on, online a lot too, is, uh, I'd like this phrase. I think this is one of my very few originals, but it's, uh, um, where ambiguities exist, assumptions are made. So when we don't know what's going on, we're going to have to fill those gaps with something. Because if I'm asking you a question and you don't answer me, then I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make up if you, you got to give me something. Or if you say, well, it's impossible to have a laser to start a fire. And then I go, well, no, it's not impossible. Look, look, there's stuff here to show that's not impossible. Like, I'm not saying, yeah, like you do. Like we got to get to what this is, what's actually going on. But that we have such a distrust of institutions because there's another thing I stand in my classes. Like how many times does your best friend have to lie to you for you to not trust them? And the students are usually like once or twice. Mm -hmm. Like if they lie to my face, I'm not going to trust them ever again. Like how many times does your wife or whatever your your spouse have to cheat on you for you to like go? Oh, are you really going to the to the to the st grocery store? You to go out and cheat on me again? Like. It doesn't right. take much, but then there's these big institutions that have lied to us, the government or whatever, you know, all these different things. They've been pushing this stuff that's wrong and false, and we just keep going back. But that's what's breaking the the, the trust is you've duped me before. You have to earn it back. You can't just keep lying to me and then and then I'm going to keep trusting you. You know, like the fire festival when those people are promoting that ridiculous <laughs> festival, like that should have been the you should never listen to Kylie Jenner when she promotes something ever again. Like that sh should be the, the when the trust breaks and we've broken that trust. So now we don't we don't really know where to turn and we're going to fill in the gaps when we ask questions and they're not giving us answers. I'll have to circle back on that one or whatever it is mm -hmm. that we get from our government or people like we should be able to say, how is it? Please explain to me how it's possible that this book is published before the fires are even out. How did this all go down? And if we don't get satisfactory answers, then we're going to fill in the gaps with some sort of, of what we think is probably the most likely to happen. But I tell my students, like, keep asking questions until you're satisfied. Just keep going. Oh, but they're going to get annoyed. It's like, yeah, they, they probably will. But that's the job of being a critical thinker is to keep asking these questions until you're satisfied. If you're actually looking for truth, how hard are you going to look for it? Just surface level until they just say like, stop asking questions and you just roll over and just, then you're not getting closer to the truth. And I think people do want the truth. And I think there's probably a good, like use an Occam's razor again. There's probably a good explanation for how they were able to do that. Probably is. But if they don't tell, tell us, then yeah, my mind's going to go out of something crazy too. So <laughs> let's be more transparent. We need more transparency from all institutions. I think that we're at a time now with the internet where like adults can handle it. They need to be able to handle it. So tell us what's going on with all of this stuff. And then truth will be the, the, the way forward uh, to have a better society. I just, I just have to keep leaning into that. Yeah. Well, people are suggesting that it was written with AI and, you know, AI is obviously, you know, making our work much more efficient. So I don't know. I think if anything, we need to research the, the author of the book and figure out who that person was and see mm -hmm. if there's any shady connections there. But I'm, I'm right there with you, Will. I've been long saying, you know, we're at, we're leaving the age of information and hopefully, fingers crossed here, we're entering the age of accountability because, at the end of the day, that's what a lot of this is here for, right? When we have these review systems, I mean, we have blockchain now. Uh, we're going to be eventually pushed towards more transparency. And so that's hopefully a saving grace of the internet. I know, you know, as we were just saying, there's incentive for these, you know, 
alternative news organizations to create fake narratives and stuff. They get more clicks, they get more views. And, you know, who's to say, yeah, as, as we were mentioning, you know, like the government isn't always competent, right? And you don't want to accredit conspiracy to what can be attributed to competence. And so uh, I think there probably is more to these stories. Plus, if you look at like these fires, like this storm came on uh, within a, a very short period of time, right? So like, what is the government like in the White House planning exactly how they're going to take advantage of this natural event? And I guess there's even conspiracies that there's weather modification and stuff too. So who knows? But I mean, it just feels like there's too many dots to connect for it to really be logical or feasible, in, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I still think we have to ask questions. And in fact, yesterday I made a tweet uh, about uh, a police chief who uh, is the current police chief in Ve- uh, in Maui right now, but he was the police captain in Vegas in 2017. So there, there are some weird anomalies here, and I don't think it's a bad idea to ask questions and at least highlight some of this stuff, but we can't jump to conclusions. And in the caption of the post, that's what I was trying to highlight. So um, I know we are getting close to here to the, to the end of the show. That means, of course, it's time to, to talk about solutions or at the very least end on a white pill. So, Will, I, I'm sure you felt it online. There's this general sentiment that things are kind of escalating and getting worse. And it, it feels like the world is basically just going crazy. And we joke around on social media that like each year feels worse than the last. And I think many people who have taken the red pill often feel black pilled and hopeless. But I think all three of us could say that there's immense beauty in this world, but it gets overshadowed by the identitarianism, the culture wars, all the mainstream manipulation and the fear porn and all that stuff. So, Will, please give us a white pill here. How do we continue to focus on these important topics that often feel rooted in like a sense of doom and gloom while still staying optimistic about the future? Um, yeah, I think that there, the, the drive for clicks and views and kind of the unregulated capitalism of like, I'm going to do what just gets me mine is leading to, to a lot of this. Cause like, I, I know what, what I could post to, to go viral and then what I can post to, to try and make things better. Sure. And they're often not aligned. Uh, but what, one of the things that gives me hope is the people who are um, rising up in whatever it is, like the kind of like uh, alternative alternative to the mainstream. So Joe Rogan's obviously a big one. I know. And the fact that he has, I knew him from back in the day out here doing like jujitsu stuff. Um, and oh, like wow. the fact that this kind of guy is like meathead, simple guy to some degree is, has the biggest platform. And he gives a lot of, um, uh, platforms to people with alternative viewpoints. And I think that people look at him and go, wow, he's about as successful as you can get. What is he doing? You know, someone like Andrew Schultz, you know, someone like that in the, in the comedy world is just, the, the people who are seem to be getting more and more successful are the ones who seem to be more open-minded, um, more yeah. willing to, to, um, to ask questions and challenge mainstream narratives and stuff like that. Uh, and then the, the Don Lemons of the world are, are struggling. So that's, what's given me hope is that this, it's just, it's, we're just in a transition time right now. The internet, you know, I mean, social media is still very new. The internet is still very new and that's, yeah. and we're just, we're just, we're messy because new technology is always going to be messy. You give, you know, when cars were first created, there were a lot of car accidents, you know, like that, that makes sense. So we just haven't figured out how to use such crazy access to information yet, 
but mm. I, I am, I am, um, I believe, and I'm, I'm positive and I'm optimistic that in time we'll get the handle of what to do and enough people are searching for truth. And, um, and there's enough alternative viewpoints here that people are going to, really struggle to stay in their echo chambers because all the time I get messages from people um, about how just following my account gave them like, huh, huh, maybe I'll look into this a little bit more, just challenging their viewpoints and they appreciate it. So I think that there's a thirst for that and that gives me hope um, and it, it keeps me optimistic moving forward, like looking at who's who's successful at doing it and asking these questions. You know, Matt Taibbi and people like that are, are, are really, you know, prominent and uh, and they're I think that that should not be ignored because those people are going to get, you know, someone like, like, a like Joe Rogan's far more successful than the more divisive kind of, you know, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Steven Crowder or whoever it would be, you know, Don Lemon, whatever it'd be on the other side. So I think that, the, I think that it, it does tap into the, what people actually want, which is getting closer to, to what is true or not. Excellent point. Excellent white pill. And yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we sensed that, that hunger for truth back in 2013 when we first started the free thought project. And we were, uh, we were fulfilling that demand for a long period of time, but I think it eventually had to take somebody with more of a, a mainstream platform. Uh, not to say that Rogan was the first, but at least he had that credibility. Uh, he had that reputation. He had that, that name, that, that mainstream name, I guess, to be able to, uh, have some guests on who we could pull in and and be able to talk about some of these very controversial topics. So, and also, you know, we should give you a credit here too, Will, like your platform, your Instagram account. I know you, you posted a, a few weeks back that it reached uh, a million people, which is very impressive, man. And congrats on that. And you deserve it, dude. You've been touching on some, some really important topics. You've been having some really great guests. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get into Daryl Davis this time, but we would love to have you back on again in the future. And I'm sure there's a thousand more things we could talk about. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations, and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. Last question here. My son's birthday is in 10 days. Is there any chance you could maybe drive up to Sacramento and be blippy for his birthday too? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, no. she, my wife says something like that. She's like, okay, so for next time, I was like, next time? Like, calm down. Because <laughs> that was my third kid. I have a, I have a two-year-old. And I did it for my um, my six-year-old when he turned two. And then this is our, our, I think our last kid just turned two. I have three kids. I have three boys. Oh, you have three. My apologies. And, uh, and I was like, next time, calm, calm down. 
I'll, I'll make a fool out of myself for my class. I'll make a fool out of myself for my kids. I'll make a fool out of myself to, you know, you know teach people and stuff like that. But I'm generally pretty introverted. And <laughs> well, if anybody's wondering what the hell we're talking about, uh, I probably wouldn't know if I didn't have kids either. But Blippy is this like, I guess, kind of new, like uh, maybe a he's probably a millennial, but he's basically like this generation's version of Pee Wee Herman. And yeah. he's he's everywhere. He's on YouTube. He's on Netflix. And he's just like this goofy guy for kids. My kids love him. I, I mean, it's it's insane. But when I saw that footage on your Instagram, like I literally thought that you guys reached out to Blippy, like rented his ass, like flew him in. I, I was but it was you. It was you, man. It, somehow you you make a perfect Blippy. So maybe you could keep that that costume for Halloween or something. I don't know. I'm sure you, you make your kids <laughs> yeah, happy. Thanks, yeah. He's but, killing it. Good for him, man. I think it's, it's positive messages. He's not, he's not getting involved in anything crazy. He's keeping it pretty, um, you know, like mellow. And as far as like, he doesn't get involved in politics or anything kind of crazy agendas. He's just right. Being funny right. and cool. Yeah. I he like did that. have a little controversy. I think some controversy surfaced because uh, when he was really young, he made some, really strange videos but we don't have to get into that now if anybody's oh. interested they could they could google it <laughs> themselves but he's cleaned yeah. up his act like he's definitely you know he's, he's doing it right and it's I, I watch enough of it you know by proxy that i, I know it's like good wholesome content yeah. for my kids you know so really appreciate you coming on will yeah thank you well, thank you so much for having me guys i really appreciate it. I, I love following what you guys are doing it's always challenges me I, and i generally am like doing what what i do which is like nah let me look a little deeper but it, it sparks the thought. And that's what I'm really interested in is the sparking thought. Sure. I mean, that's what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're, we're here to do. And uh, as we've been saying for a long time, you know, we're here to plant seeds by any means necessary. So get those uh, people thinking critically and hopefully, you know, we could start moving in the right direction here. But yeah, Will, this conversation was exactly what I hoped it would be. And um, as Matt said, it was a great conversation. Your, your ability, man, to dissect topics with an analytical and sensible approach is very much appreciated and definitely sorely needed in this world. So uh, thank you for your time today. And thanks for having that unifying message in this world that's so divided. Thank you. We appreciate it, guys.